Welcome to That Might Be Cool. I'm Jason Hammonds, and joining me today is a comic book writer, professional, a, a, a person who's all over this comic book game, blowing it up, taking it apart, and rearranging it. His name is Henry Barajas. Oh, Welcome to the show, Henry. <laughs> hey, man. Thanks for coming over. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Thanks for letting me invade your space with all this, uh, <laughs> this podcasting, man. Oh, dude. No, I'm really, um, I'm really honored that you asked me to talk about stuff that i like to talk about <laughs> absolutely man no it's it's always uh it's always a joy when i can find a, a reason to get you on the mic um but uh today we're talking about uh, one of the biggest uh, pivots in the marvel cinematic universe one of the one of the real game changers and kind of uh uh switcheroos if you will right uh today we're talking about thor ragnarok so much has happened since i last saw you I lost my hammer, like yesterday, so that's still pretty fresh. And then I went on a journey of self-discovery. Where I met you. Where are we? You have no idea. Yeah, I like that movie a lot because everyone likes to say that the Marvel movies are funny, uh-huh. but there are moments, it's almost like it's a formulaic joke in Marvel Universe films where in a moment that's supposed to be serious, the character, the straight man yeah. makes a weird joke yeah, that totally. really kind of, you know, it makes everybody laugh, but it doesn't, it kind of breaks the scene a little bit every time. Yeah. And it was about time that they finally got someone who actually knows comedy, <laughs> yeah. to do... I mean, the Russo brothers are, you know, big Arrested Development, you know... Sure. Yeah, they've guys. done comedy. Yeah, right, they've but. done it, but that's not what, you know, Infinity War or no. was supposed to be. No. And this was just like a true blue comedy film yeah. with a character that works best with comedy. Yeah. You know? Totally. And that, I think that's kind of the funny thing is that for, for so long in this franchise, it felt like everyone was trying to force Thor to be a serious character. Right. When you could kind of see, A, that Hemsworth is better when he's able to like play it for laughs. Uh, but also, B, that like the, the concept of the world of Asgard and the character is so weird that you kind of have to be able to laugh right. at it. Otherwise, like with the Dark World, right? I think there was a lot where it's like the world itself isn't kind of being joked about, you know? <laughs> They're taking it so seriously. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's the Norse mythology that's hybrid Marvel. Mm-hmm. You know, I could see that, you know, a lot of that is tragedy. Yeah. It's very, you know, Loki is the comedy to that. So, and um, unknowingly always, Thor is the the comedic, you know, he's the humor of, yeah. of, the, of the Avengers. Yeah. You know, and that's what I liked about this movie was... They got away with saying the devil's anus. <laughs> Repeatedly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, oh my God, this is a Marvel children's film. You can go to Target, go to the kid, the bo- little boy's toy or girls, yeah. the little toy section. Uh-huh. And there's like Thor Ragnarok helmet and and oh. and you got Bruce Banner shouting the devil's anus. Yeah. So many times. Oh, yeah. And I mean, even like. There's, there's the, I, I can't remember exactly what she says, but when they're, when the reference is made to, uh, uh, Jeff Goldblum's character using his ship for like, essentially they allude to him having orgies in his yes. ship. I can't remember the exact line, but I'm like. Right. There's just, a, and you know, like Jeff Goldblum, I just saw him recently at his weekly oh, jazz, his jazz show. Thing? Yeah. I yeah. And he's such a charming, funny, mm-hmm. you know, good looking dude. And in this, <laughs> he's just this like 
he embodies a Jack Kirby character. Yeah, you know, yeah. like he has the weird features that, you know, and he has the hair. And mm-hmm. that's what I loved about this movie, too. They really, you know, dug their heels in the mud when it came to comics. Yeah. And having that, like, crazy color palette yes. that we saw in early Thor films. Yeah. You know? And that's that's kind of what I really enjoyed about this movie, too, is that it, it's even more than, like, Guardians, even more than, than a lot of the Marvel films that we'd seen before, it, like, fully embraced the, the Kirby aesthetic, like you're saying. Like, you see all the designs on Sakaar and all the ways, yeah. you know, each building is, like, bright red or green or blue or whatever. Like, you know, the weird face paint they're doing. Like, they really, for the first time, I think, embrace the aesthetic that, that all this stuff comes from. Um, and that was, that was, at least to me, like, the thing that, brought i think the most joy when i watched this movie was just being immersed in that world and seeing these things that that so clearly come from you know like your jack kirby's right. Walt simonson and uh, in, in the first two movies you're you were stuck with the like love between natalie portman yeah. jane foster mm-hmm. and you know the thor character which is uh, you know i mean they did what they could yeah but you got you know the valkyrie leah thompson oh, mm-hmm. who's just a badass yeah, you yeah, know yeah. and that's what it was a refreshing um pivot which in almost all the marvel movies at that point mm-hmm. like iron man and pepper Potts, chris evans and you know uh captain america and yeah. agent carter you know there was always this like um tango of love yeah and then you finally got a hero's journey where thor lost everything yep you know ragnarok which is like a big moment in norse mythology it's the the, you know the end of all times Mm -hmm. you get that moment finally Mm -hmm. and it was such a cool hero's journey that you got to experience in a way that not only didn't affect the marvel canon yeah you know and it stood on its own feet but also spoiler alert (laughs) you know seamlessly takes us to infinity war totally yeah and it's and it's the cool thing is like this you know this this sort of theme of like you know being being torn apart and rebuilding you know and and reinventing yourself like it's it's it bleeds throughout this entire movie where i mean first off with thor in every level he's sort of deconstructed his hammer is is broken his hair is is cut you know like his outfit has changed uh uh he's taken off asgard asgard is destroyed like every element of thor's character is completely stripped away um, but you even get it with with other characters, you know, with with Tessa Thompson, right? Like she used to be a Valkyrie, and now she's sort of like this kind of self serving bounty hunter type yeah. character when we meet her. Same with like you know, obviously Mark Ruffalo, like him co- totally leaving Earth, abandoning Bruce Banner, like and becoming full Hulk full time. Like this entire movie, we're sort of just seeing all of these characters learn how to rebuild themselves right. and like come back, you know, stronger from whatever adversity that they had. And I think that's part of what makes it so so fun as a movie is like yeah there's all the jokes and the colorfulness and the things that like feel so refreshing but we're also actually seeing a movie that has thematic relevance on every level yeah and then really matters to the characters mm-hmm. and um you know i and the H- helena or hella mm-hmm. you know kate blanchett yeah. awesome actress oh. actor and you know just gives you that g- the one other thing that i'm worried about with with marvel movies mm-hmm. soon is you know, everyone wants Galactus, but how do you fight Galactus on the screen? You know what I <laughs> yeah, mean? Like, that's true. she is a worthy adversary for Thor. Mm-hmm. You know, as she might, unfortunately, she won't be seen again, maybe. Yeah. I don't know. But for that moment in that chapter of Thor's life, I could see that being something that would be difficult to fight. You yeah. Know? 
Absolutely. And especially, you know, I mean, obviously having it be like a, a long lost sister, you know, and finding out like the disillusionment of like, oh, your dad wasn't perfect, you know, and like there's this whole secret he's been hiding from you and he used to do things that weren't so, you know, godlike and savory or whatever, right. you know, like I, I really just enjoy all of that. And I, I also like where the story starts. I I love the kind of like, you know, coming back to Asgard, obviously there was like the plot thread that had been sort of left dangling from Thor the Dark World where Loki had taken Odin's place and like going back to Earth to like find right. him and stuff like that whole sort of adventure when they have the interlude with Doctor Strange. Like, Yeah, he had the yellow gloves. Uh, I thought that was cool. I thought the, the yellow gloves are cool. I'm glad that they didn't stick with them. Oh, know? really? Because at least to me, I, I feel like they look a little um, oven midi. I love it. I think yeah. they look cool. Yeah, but <laughs> I can see what you're saying. I mean... Um. Yeah. You and that with Loki too. I mean, that's a perfect Loki trick. You know, Loki tricks everyone into thinking he is, you know, Odin, and gets what he wants. And then Thor comes in and goes, "Brother, you screwed up again." You know, it's (laughs) just such a classic Norse kind of you know take on that. Yeah. Um. And uh, you have to remind me of the director's name. How to pronounce it? Uh, again. Taika Waititi. Taika Waititi. Yeah, he is such a funny guy. Yes. And that movie, I think it's just one of the like it's just it's a standalone funny movie. Yeah. But it really overshadows any Marvel film in its own right. Like yeah. I think every Marvel film looks the same. Yeah. You know, but this movie looks different, sounds different, feels different. Totally. And I saw it on the plane, and I was just. I w- I should oh, have wow. seen it in the theaters. I, yeah. I I don't know what I was thinking, but I think I was just <laughs> kind of tired of Thor. Of you know, I didn't care. Yeah, and um, they gave me a reason that I I thought he was out. I was like, this is the end of yeah. Thor. But it totally revitalized. I think Chris Hemsworth totally yeah. career and Thor the character and his place in the mm-hmm. Marvel universe. I agree, man. I, I think that's such a huge part of this too. Is like. Yeah, at at the time that this movie was even being developed, I don't think anyone was really wanting to see much more of Thor, you know, and and also yeah, like you say Chris Hemsworth, you know, everyone had he felt was in like countless bo- countless bombs like the uh uh he was in that like uh, Red Riding Hood movie. Yep, yep. Then he was uh in Ghostbusters yep. and it just seemed like everything oh, he was in this movie with his brother where yeah. they had to like kill <laughs> The president or something, right? Something like so, that, yeah. yeah. I'm trying to remember what, what the plot was. But yeah. yeah, he was becoming one of these... It seems like every few years there's like a generic, handsome Australian guy that is like the one that's thrust into every blockbuster and then everyone gets tired of really right. quickly. Yeah. And he was in danger of becoming that. Yes. And then I think all of a sudden it's like, oh no, like maybe it's just that he hasn't been getting an interesting role for a long time, you know? And I think we finally... I think someone finally figured out that he could do comedy well. Yeah. You know, he's really good at... With the stoic face and saying mm-hmm. something crazy like "Give me a horse" at a pet shop, you <laughs> yeah, know exactly that's what works for Thor. Yeah, um, and then with this movie too, talking about you know obviously revitalizing the franchise, this is by far the the highest rated and highest grossing Thor movie. Uh, this uh, this movie earned ninety two percent positive ratings uh, from critics on Rotten Tomatoes and eighty seven percent positive scores from audiences, which is a huge improvement uh, over the other Thor movies. Oh, wow. I'm starting to think that Rotten Tomatoes isn't as reliable as we thought it was. I do agree there. You know, I think the uh, I think the Star Wars and Captain Marvel um, toxic fandom that kind yep. of try to overtake it really, um, you know, I, and I, I, try, I'm, I don't know. I, I think it's I think it's time we stop putting so much emphasis on on Rotten Tomatoes, but I yeah. mean, there's nothing we could do about it. I agree. I, I like using it as kind of a barometer of public opinion for at least movies that don't have this weird, 
like toxicity from fandoms right. surrounding him, like especially like you say with Last Jedi and with Captain Marvel, like the huge disparities that you see between critic and audience scores, like it, it becomes evident that like someone's got some weird agenda, you know, yeah, like, there's a group of people that definitely. are trying to like push something. Um, you know, but I, I think for this movie, it's fairly indicative of the fact that like, yeah, that you rarely meet somebody. If you talk about bring up Thor Ragnarok, that there's rarely a person that's like, Oh, I hated that movie. Yeah. You know? I mean, it's a, it's a great film yeah. and it, all the characters, all the actors just shined. Yes. Yeah. And it was, uh, I think one of the best Marvel film. I think I don't think it gets enough credit. Yeah. Oh, to be totally. Honest. Yeah. And I mean, it's like it's funny because so this movie worldwide uh, grossed eight hundred and fifty three million dollars, eight hundred fifty three point nine million dollars. Which, like, looking at that on its face, you go, "Oh, wow, that's a that's a killer success for him, right?" Which, of course, it is. But again, it's like, and we we bring this up a lot when we talk about movies uh, on the show and what they gross. But that is the twelfth grossing Marvel Cinematic Universe movie. Yeah, I mean, it's not a <laughs> so wild. Know, I think it's. I think it speaks to uh, Waititi, right? Is it? Waititi. Waititi. I think that speaks to to uh, what he can do. But yeah. also, uh, you know, I think that's it stands apart. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and as far as quality and look. Yeah. And uh, if you put. Uh, Captain America, you know, any Captain America movie mm-hmm. and almost, you know, Ant-Man, Iron Man, they all have the same lighting. They all have the same like television <laughs> style yeah. look, you know, and this was like such a, a, a good break be- before b- between all that. Yeah. And I think that, that that's that's kind of what I hope that they continue to do in the future is is to really like. I think the prime examples of this, they have three film franchises thus far that have done this really well, which is bring in a visionary director, someone who has a very unique style uh, and sort of allow them to try and play within the sandbox that you give them. And I think the the three times that it's worked the best have been with James Gunn, with Ryan Coogler and with Taika Waititi, you know, like Guardians, Black Panther and Thor Ragnarok are the films I think that stand apart the most yeah. from the Marvel Cinematic Universe while Definitely. not breaking anything, you know, right. they contribute a new sort of flavor to, to the world that, that wasn't there before. Um, and so I kind of hope that they continue on this trend of like find you know a a a fresher independent director to pair with whoever your sort of house screenwriters are right uh to kind of build something that is still in line with your universe while branching it out into different directions um like I'm very curious and actually like they talked about with the Shang Chi movie um they're kind of doing the same thing and I'm sure they will with with the Eternals movie that they're developing as well but like finding yeah, finding those voices that are right. not like, like with Thor two, I think they made the most obvious choice they could have made for director, which was guy, getting a guy who directed a bunch of Game of Thrones episodes. Yes, so it's like, oh yeah, that's that's the choice I think anyone would have like tried to make when totally. going, who works for Thor, you know. But I don't think anyone was like, oh yeah, get me the what we do in the shadows guy, for right? Thor, <laughs> you know, no, smart. Um, but yeah, I, I uh, so some of the things we liked uh, to talk about um, on this uh, on this show and sort of because we're kind of you know taking each movie and looking at the larger uh, cinematic universe from the perspective or looking through the lens of this movie and how it kind of builds that uh, that universe. Um, but uh, one of the big things here is we we want to see like what did this movie bring that carries on in, in future movies. Um, I mean, the big thing for me, at least right off the bat, is like one one of the big plot threads that it that it kind of carries over into Infinity War is Hulk's struggle with his own powers, right? Like with with being the Hulk. Um there's a lot in this movie, you know, especially toward the end of like Bruce is so 
afraid of becoming the Hulk again that he can't get himself to to do it, you know? Right. Which becomes an important plot thread in, in Infinity War. Definitely. Um, and I think that was something... I think that was a like kind of a really important thing to establish because I also feel like Hulk was starting to become a really boring character and Bruce Banner was. Yeah, I mean, you know, I think Hulk got the the raw end because it he was the last time we saw him was in the worst Avengers movie. Yeah. And, you know, it wasn't about him and they tried to again put you know, put this square peg in a round hole <laughs> of romance. Uh-huh. Between Hulk and Natasha, um, the Black Widow. Yeah. And then you also had the, like, the new faces coming in, like Quicksilver and Scarlet Witch. And then you had the really horrible, clumsy vision. Mm -hmm. Um, You just had packed in so much, you know, 15 pounds of stuff in a 10-pound bag. (laughs) So where where does that leave everyone else? Yeah. You know, and we finally got a side of Hulk that was... You know, very interesting, off kilter. Yeah, he was. You know, he was revered, and he you could he, he was enjoying that. You yeah. Know? Um, I think what what resonated with me the most was watching Thor lose Ragnarok. Or I mean, lose his world. Yeah. And then go try to save his people, and then just instantly couldn't. Yeah. You know, and then lose his hammer. Then he needs to make a hammer. There was that was a different. It was I think that was much more of a Ragnarok sequel than it was anything else. Yeah, you know. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think for Infinity War. Yeah, yeah. Have it, having Infinity War like be right, like having this be the movie that leads into Infinity War. I think was such a like an underrated choice. You know, because yeah. it's just like it, it brings him in such a, a different direction to start off. I mean, obviously, just Asgard not existing. You know, Thor missing an eye, missing his hair, missing his hammer, like. And then losing his people, yeah, it's it's such a great place for him to start this this giant you know story that we have that we're in the middle of right now. Um, I really the 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 one thing for me that I wish had not just like been kind of swept off to the side going into Infinity War is Valkyrie is Tessa Thompson. I think that she could have there could have been a really interesting role for her in Infinity War, and I'm sure that she'll play some factor in in Endgame. Uh, yeah, but she was such a refreshing character to have added to this world. Right. Um, that I, I I'm curious to see what they do with her going forward because I think it would be a shame if she's not like leading her own movie in this universe soon. Yeah, I, I you know I mean like I said earlier, mm-hmm. Infinity War is a large ensemble. Yeah, they 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 had packed in a lot of characters. Um, having two Asgardians would probably have been a little bit too much. That's fair. Um, that's very powerful, yeah. you know? I mean, you had all those characters fighting Thanos, yeah. you know? That was incredible. Yeah. And then to put in two, uh, two gods against Thanos would be a bit, a bit of a stretch. So, like you said, you know, we just got to sit tight, you know? <laughs> we can't get, we can't get everything we want. That's, you know, I mean, that's something that I think Marvel has to learn, you yeah. know? Um, yeah, they, uh, do you watch wrestling? I, I watch wrestling a bit. Did you I, watch WrestleMania? I didn't watch it. Yeah, there was a Batista, you know, yeah. uh, Marvel actor. He was against the Triple H, you oh, yeah. know, the co-vice president, whatever, of WWE. Uh-huh. And he had his redemption to fight Batista. And the audience wants Batista to win because he's a beloved Hollywood actor now. Of course. But 
they learned that you can't give the audience everything they want. Yeah. So they made him lose, you know, which is an interesting cool, yeah. thing. And I think that's what Marvel has to figure out. Yeah, it's because I think that that is a, a big thing for, for a lot of these movies is there have been very few instances where they've, you know, done something the audience didn't want and stuck to it. I think one of the only instances was with the Mandarin in Iron Man 3. Right. You know, where they, they kind of go, oh, no, the Mandarin didn't really exist kind of, you know, the way that, that people think he does. And I feel like that's one of those, for me, I love that twist. You know, yeah, that was a our, great twist. On our Iron Man 3 episode. But for a lot of people, it's like soured them on that movie. Yeah, I mean, they try to go James Bond with that movie, <laughs> and it only worked for Black Panther. Yeah, you know. Yep. I, I I still I still enjoy Iron Man three, but I think that it's one of those things where I think Marvel almost wishes they had done the more fan friendly version of Iron Man three. Um, I just suck. think they almost wish that they would have just trusted someone like John Favreau to keep telling cool Iron Man stories. Mm. You know, Iron Man two I think is probably the worst. One of the worst yeah. Marvel movies. So, I th- I don't know. I mean, they really saved him with Infinity War, I hope, and yeah. with Spider-Man. Yeah. He's more of a, you know, charming guy again. Yeah, he's a fun character. So, I'm a big fan of Iron Man, and I hope, I'm really fingers crossed that Iron Man, and you know, I, I want everyone <laughs> to stay around. I don't think they should kill anybody off, but... That's, you know, giving me what I want. Exactly. You know, so. Yeah, it'll, it'll be interesting to see. I'm sure there will be some, some vegetables we'll have to take in Endgame. Um, yeah. But uh, the, so the, we like to talk about best performances and best rising stars in each movie. Um, the best performance in Thor Ragnarok is, is tough for me to say. I feel like, I feel like it's probably Kate Blanchett. You think so? For me? I don't know. Who, who, would, who would you kind of pick? I really liked... Uh, you know, I think I think Chris Hemsworth shined mm. finally in his own Thor movie. Yeah, because it was always Loki. You know, I think yeah, every movie true. should have been a Loki movie. Yeah, that is very true. And Norse mythology really plays on Loki. You know, and and or is very centered about of Loki fucking something up. Yes. Can we say that? Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. Okay, cool. Um, so I find, in my opinion, I was look. I was I went into it hating Thor, and I went out loving Thor. Yeah. So, um, but. I think Jeff Goldblum, just because I saw him a couple weeks ago, but he was so funny in that. He he's yeah. such a Jeff Goldblum type character. Yeah, just this like weird orgy loving, you know, like <laughs> dictator weird. who's like really chill. He's like, can you all just please find Thor? It'd be really cool if you did. You know, I love the like he. I love the weird like digs that he makes at Thor throughout the movie. He's like, oh, is that little little sparkles in your fingertips? That's that's fun. Like, yeah, he's so. Uh, all of his lines are so good. Yeah, he's great. I, I was watching some of the behind the scenes, and it was just very interesting seeing Taika directing him. Yeah, uh, you know, and seeing them kind of play with it, and it was also interesting like seeing. I don't know. It's one of those things with some of these actors, like these really well established actors, like Goldblum and Kate Blanchett, like you don't necessarily picture them like when they're offset or not delivering their lines. You don't picture them actually understanding the world or really like getting into it. But it's like Jeff Goldblum's on set and he's like talking about like the world and like the intricacies of Sakaar and like stuff like that. And you're like, you're like, wow, like Goldblum was actually like, he was, he was digging this. You know? Oh man. He's such an accomplished actor. <laughs> yeah. You know, he's worked with, you know, he, he's worked with so many people. You yeah. Know? Cronenberg. Oh, uh, you know, yeah, uh, he's got such a legendary career. Yeah. Spielberg, Spielberg, every Berg, yeah, Pittsburgh, <laughs> legendary director <laughs> Pittsburgh. Um, 
I think for me, the best rising star in this film would probably be Tessa Thompson. Yes. Uh, yes, she was amazing. Totally. Like, she she had a good role in, in, uh, in Creed before this, and, you know, like, she definitely popped up a couple places and done some interesting stuff, but I feel like this is a role where it was like she's propelled into yeah. a new level. Obviously, now we see her in, you know, Men in Black is, is kind of her next I'm big I'm excited movie. to see that. Uh, yeah. It should be... I feel like it's either going to be awesome or terrible. I mean, Men in Black is... You know what you're going to get when you watch Men in Black Very movie. true. You know, you're not... <laughs> You're watching a Men in Black movie. Yeah. You know, it's what you're going to get. Yep, I feel that. Um, we, we talk a lot about the MacGuffins that each of these movies use, you know, and, and most Marvel movies, or not most, but quite a lot of them use an Infinity Stone, you know, and they'll just be like, all right, here's a powerful thing that everyone can chase. And, yeah. uh, you know, that's that's the plot. Um, this movie also, I think one, one of the strengths of this movie is the MacGuffin of the story is ever evolving mm-hmm. and has real consequences and isn't just like a thing that ends up not mattering during the last fight. Um, you know, and, and I think that like at a certain point during like the third act, it becomes the, the, um, I guess in the first act and in the third act, it's the crown of, of Surtur. Uh, but then throughout the rest of the movie, it's like, Oh no, the devil's anus is sort of the, yeah. the MacGuffin, you know, like there, there's kind of these various different micro plots that they're chasing and there's not really a big like object that there's the entire time trying to get. Um, and I think that made the story a lot more nuanced and interesting. Yeah, and it was less dependent on the Tesseract, you know. <laughs> yes. Which has been what has ruled Marvel movies yeah. since Iron Man. It's going to be so nice when Endgame is done and we don't have to talk about Infinity Stones anymore. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, it, it's a good tying theme. Yeah. But it will be refreshing to not have to depend on that. Totally. Um, and then uh, uh, ratings. We like, to, we like to give some ratings to like our... Um, our villains in this film or in uh, any film. Uh, usually it's like a, you know, dumb clickbait buzz fady type thing. Uh, uh, you know, a one through 10 rating of the villain. But how, how do you feel like uh, Hela played by Kate Blanchett? Oh, was? I mean, she was like a, an eight. Yeah. You know, I think she was believable and she was, you know, gothy and hot yeah. and, and just badass and had a, a serious bone to pick. Yeah. You know, like if you think about, the baddie in world in Iron Man two, it's Whiplash, which <laughs> yeah. what a weird you know movie villain. Yeah. Um, and when you got the big Red Skull, you he wants a Tesseract. You yeah. know, it's just a uh, he doesn't. Yeah, I don't know. It's just it, it feels weird that the the top notch Captain America villain mm-hmm. wasn't after what he's always been after. You yeah. know, world domination. You know, and and this character, it's it's a very personal vendetta, mm-hmm. and I can dig that, and I could see why, and that you know it falls in line within the Norse mythology, uh, mythology. Yeah, yeah, know? absolutely. Um, yeah, I think I think for me, she's probably right around that same area, maybe like a seven. Um, I only wish that there had been a little bit more. Uh, you know, and it's kind of tough with this with this universe because everything is so connected. Then you know, it's like I'm always wishing that there were more setup prior to whatever movie we're watching for yeah. these villains. And so obviously there was no real setup for her in advance. That being said, when she does come on screen, you know, they're very efficient about establishing her motivation, establishing her backstory and giving her very interesting sort of things to do as it pertains to the plot. Right. Um, I also love her interactions with Carl Urban. I really yes. like Carl Urban's character in this movie. Yeah. Um, and he's such a because that I believe Scourge is like a, a Walt Simonson character, if I'm not mistaken. Definitely, yeah. Um, and that was I don't know, it's such a fun fun way to include that. And I think that's the thing too is like, you know, Walt Simonson. I feel like for for the the casual comics fan, like even for me, up until like this movie came out, 
I had always thought like, oh yeah, Walt Simonson, like he did Thor for a long time, and that was probably really no, he cool. was Thor exactly. For a long time. Yeah, he I was. Mean, and I I had never really like di- dove in into it, dived into it, whatever. Uh, and so I didn't know, you know, like I just kind of pictured, oh yeah, it's Thor stories, you know, God stuff and mythology and stuff like that. And then I started reading Walt Simonson's Thor, and I'm like, this is so weird. Yeah. Like, he becomes a frog at one point. There's a you know flying horse guy that's Thor. Like it's yeah, it's great. I mean, he really does as one of the most you know. I think he's the Thor prominent Thor artist writer. Yeah, and uh, he doesn't get enough credit for that. Totally. And so I, I liked that this movie really brought in you know those 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 deeply rooted comic book elements and, right. and tried to like stay. And it found a nice balance between like Jack Kirby stuff and Walt Simonson stuff. Um, to really include here. Uh, I, I also did really love Anthony Hopkins performing as Loki being Odin. Right. He was great. And then he turns into like, uh, REI, like, uh, <laughs> retired dad. Yeah. Yeah. What a weird, uh, twist it's there. So great. I, that's the thing with Anthony Hopkins. Like he'll do a lot of movies where you're like, why are you doing this? But <laughs> it's money. It's, it, that's fair. That yeah. is a good reason to do a lot of things. I, uh, but it's like, but then he'll he'll have these roles, you know, like even in Westworld, I think is the same way where it's like you're reminded just how good he is at acting, uh, you know, just the the you know the nuances where where when he's being Loki, being himself, you know, the the kind of like body movements and the ways he like you know he like does like these like weird head cocks and like you know yeah. shoulder movements and stuff that like are not anything that Odin's ever done, but you can see is like pulled directly from how Tom Hiddleston acts, right? Um, I did also enjoy all the cameos in this movie. The little like play where Matt Damon and the other Hemsworth. Yes, are that was funny. <laughs> reenacting Thor too. Um, <laughs> what did you think of Taika's character Korg? Korg was, you know, the comic relief that you yeah. find in Norse mythology. There's always the like, you know, the character, the god that has the cast. He makes the lamps, or he makes the like dishes, and he always says weird stuff that mm. kind of ushers Thor to. <laughs> You know, there is that like element that Thor has to go to other gods for things, yeah. and he go- and that's you see that happen. Yeah, and you know he's just a funny, weird character that just really adds to the director's strength as a comedy director. Yeah, absolutely. Um, the line when when they start in the combat arena, you know, when when Hulk comes out and Thor's like, "Yes, I know him. He's a friend from work." I love the friend from work line. For two reasons. A, there was like, I, I think it was a Make-A-Wish kid that was like vidi- visiting on set that day who actually suggested that line, saying wow. that he's a friend from work. And so it's a line that was like written That's by beautiful. a Make-A-Wish kid, which is amazing because uh, it is such a perfect line. But I also love the idea that like, that fighting aliens in New York and like battling and stuff like that, that that is Thor's idea of a job. Like that, <laughs> that he's just like, oh yeah, this is what people do. They clock in and they go and fight a bunch of aliens and they go home. Like that, that, that in his conception, that's just what people do. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, it's... It, so good. That's hilarious. Um, the other thing, so we, we talk about the Stanley cameos uh, in every episode. Um, and in this uh, in this movie, we have Stanley as the, the hairdresser. Right. With the wild uh, contraption. Yeah. Um, we like to rate them on a scale of one to ten as well. You know, more of our Buzzfeedy little segments. Yeah, uh, I'd say that that Stanley haircut character is probably a good seven or eight. Yeah, uh, like as it pertain, you know, as it relates to the other Stanley cameos, I feel like this is one of the best ones. Oh yeah, definitely, definitely the best. I think the best cameo He's dressed in like those drapes and stuff like he has, that. Yes, you know, he has something to say. He actually has 
something to do with the plot versus yeah. like a Hugh Hefner character, you know. Yeah, it's, exactly. uh he like does something. Yeah, he that does something. The yeah, exactly. Yeah. And you can believe a senile Stan Lee could give a character a cool haircut like yeah. that. I mean Absolutely. I saw a lot of people walking around with yeah. that haircut when it came out. Yeah. I like you know, and this is the thing too, is I think a lot of this movie is kind of like talking to the audience a little bit and talking to fans because this is one of those examples where we see fans of a lot of things get upset because a little thing is changed, right? Like the Ghostbusters can't be the Ghostbusters if they're women or, you know, which granted that movie did not work, but it wasn't because they were women. You know what I mean? Like it was for far other reasons than that. The same with like Star Wars, you know, Luke Skywalker can't be cracking jokes or whatever. Like all these like weird things where people want these characters to be one specific way. And I feel like this movie was proof that like, if you tell a good story, then anything is, is, you know, is within bounds. Like the fact that you can take Thor who has a lot of, you know, an iconic look, iconic things about him, right? Like, and you take everything iconic away from him. You take away his hair, you take away his hammer, you take away his home, you know, you take away the fact that he's even really a god, like, you know, but he's still Thor, you know? Right. Like, you can take all those things away that anyone would, would identify with Thor and still keep him true to the character. Yeah. Um, and I think that's, like, at least for me, it stands as proof that, like, fanboy rage is complete bullshit and like <laughs> as long as a good story it's a loud is told, minority and totally. uh you know it's it's a shame that we have to give them any kind of credibility oh, i know but um that can't be what dictates the art you yeah. know they can't make that movie for them yeah oh and that's not you know and i think it's it's a shame when we have to acknowledge that yeah i agree um, I love, I love the Anthony Hopkins line of, of, uh, are you Thor, the God of hammers? Yeah. You know, I'm like, ah, that's, that's so good. No, it's full of good li- one liners, man. Yeah. Devil's anus is what got me. <laughs> um, and then, uh, the last couple of things I like to talk to talk about in each episode is the uh, mid and post credits scenes. Um, the, the mid credit scene we have here is, is basically leading directly into infinity war. We have Loki and Thor, uh, on the ship and, and, you know, like Loki's asking him is, is going to earth a good idea for a large spaceship, whatever, or, you know, is going to earth a good idea because Loki, they don't like him, whatever. And then Thanos is, you know, giant carrier or whatever kind of appears in front of them and it leads directly in. I really like that as a mid credit scene. I think it's, it's almost the perfect thing for these to be, which is just like, here's a tiny little bridge from this chapter yeah. of the saga to the next one. Um, and it's a little foreboding. So for me, that it's, it's, I mean, I feel like everything in this episode is right around an eight, but like that to me is also probably around an eight. Well, I also like that it leaves it up to us to figure out what happened between yeah. from there to Infinity War. Yeah. So that's what I liked. You know, I had a lot of questions yeah. as soon as Infinity War started. Yep. And I was heartbroken, yeah. which... You know, I mean, it's good for any experience Absolutely. in these things. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I give it a nine. Nine. There you go. Um, and then the post credit scene, we have the Grandmaster attempting to, like, you know, sort of uh, be friendly with the uh, citizens where he crash lands. Yes. You know what I mean? Doing that stuff. Yeah. Also fun, just because, I mean, more Jeff Goldblum is always <laughs> a good thing. I'm waiting for... I want them to really do something with him and Benicio Del Toro. The fact that they're brothers in this universe right. and they've, we've never seen them together on screen. Like, yeah. Oh, I really, I really want something there, but, but yeah, this post credit scene, it's a fun one. I'd say, you know, it's like a six, seven for me at least. Um, but yeah, that's, uh, I mean, do you, do you, do you agree with that rating? Yeah. Yeah. I agree. Um, any, any other closing thoughts on Thor Ragnarok before we, uh, I want more of that. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. I, I 100% agree. A, I want more Thor now because this character is super fun and rejuvenated now. But yeah, like, g- 
give me more directors that are weird choices yeah. and just give them a character, let them play in the sandbox. Um, Henry, you are, as I said at the beginning of the show, you're a comic book writer. You, uh, you have things that you write and put out in the world. In fact, right now, uh, as this is going, as people are listening, you have a Kickstarter up. I do, correct? yeah. I, uh, you were kind enough to interview me for my last one. Of course. And we're back again. Good timing. Absolutely, man. Um, we're doing issue two of La Voz de Mayo, Tata Rambo. It's about my great-grandfather's political activism, how he helped one of the last Native American tribes keep their integrity as a tribe of indigenous people and keep them from losing their land to the city of Tucson mm. to make way for the Interstate 10. So yeah. this is the second chapter of a three-part uh, story that's awesome. in the works. We're at 56% according to my daily emails. So yeah. uh, we're we're not at the halfway point, halfway point, but we're getting close. So I'm really uh, confident of where we stand and yeah. very happy with all the um, support. Yeah. And uh, just uh, it's been a it's been a it's been an easier experience than the first time because I priced it all better. You know, I Got think it. I think the the this campaign is a much stronger campaign um, as in its own as a campaign. Yeah. So uh, yeah, I'm excited. We got Ava Cabrera doing the cover art. Oh, she yeah. uh, worked on Kim and Kim, which is a mm-hmm. Eisner nominated series. Yeah. She's worked on the Betty and Veronica motorcycle like a uh, comic, uh-huh. um, and she's such an amazing Mexican. Latinx uh, comic book artist in Mexico. Mm-hmm. And you got me, who's from Tucson, Mexican-American, and Gonzo, who's also Mexican-American from uh, Orange County. Mm-hmm. And uh, you, I, I think you'd be hard-pressed to find three Mexican creators working on a Mexican and a Native American book. Yeah. So I try to... You know, I'm I'm really proud of this. Absolutely, you should be because I and and speaking from from reading the first uh, the first chapter, I, I loved that first chapter. It's a really really awesome story, and I'm I'm excited to see where it goes from here. Thank you, man. Uh, I supported the Kickstarter on the first one. I'll be supporting this one, and so Appreciate listeners, you. you should all join me uh, in doing that. In fact, actually, the poster that came with um uh, or the the wall art, whatever you want to call it, but I, I just call it a poster because I call everything a poster. Uh, that came with the first issue is actually hanging up in my office on the oh, Chilling cool. Adventures of Sabrina. Wow, thanks, um, man. Yeah, dude, it's uh, it's it's always a, a joy to see it every time I walk in. But I also just one thing I want to say, and, and listeners, like definitely check out the Kickstarter so you can kind of see what I'm talking about. The color palettes in in this book are so strong. I Thank really you. really love the coloring. Thank you. Um, yeah, you know, Gonzo. My hat's off to Gonzo. Yeah, seriously, it's he captures the the vibe of Arizona so well. I was born in Arizona, and, and you know, like I didn't, I wasn't raised there. I was raised in Utah, but it was like I was always going back to see my other family down there. And there is such a strong aesthetic right. to Arizona. Yeah. Um, my only I, note was uh, I wanted to, I want the comic to look like a Tucson sunset. Yeah. And uh, he lives in Tucson, so it's not hard for him to <laughs> to mine yeah. his surroundings. That's amazing, man. It's it's Thank the love. You. The love really comes through in that story, and 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 I think that uh, yeah, anyone listening, you should definitely pick it up. It's an awesome comic, and uh, it'll be it'll you'll it'll you'll have your chance to get in on the ground floor of of one of uh, the next decade's best comic book writers. <laughs> get in on uh, his first yeah uh, work. yeah. Thanks, brother. Um. Anyway, where can people find you online? Find me on Twitter, Henry Barajas, Instagram, Facebook. Um, I'm all over the place, Hell except yeah. for Pinterest. I'm not a big Pinterest guy. Me neither. I've always tried to use Pinterest, but... Uh, you know, it's not my thing. Yeah. But uh, 
people like it, you'll you, you, my art's there. <laughs> there you so, go. Yeah. Hell yeah, man. Uh, well, Henry, thanks for uh, thanks for joining us. And I guess this chronologically, as the listeners are listening, you've you were on Guardians two, and now you were on Thor Ragnarok. So thank you for joining us for the uh, the road to Endgame. And I'm sure in future installments of uh, this podcast, we'll probably have you back on. But, uh, <laughs> All right. Thanks for joining us, man. That might be cool. You never know.